It's time for episode 234 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 28th, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the only 30 minute tech show with a laugh track. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across from me is my good friend, Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. <laughs> that's, there it was. That's not creepy at all when you do it that way. <laughs> that's much Hello, better. Dan. <laughs> Hi, Micah. Uh, I'm, I know that this show, they, people tune in for the jokes, right? That's what they're here oh, for. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what else would you come here for? Well, one thing you might come here for is our discussion of four tech topics with two fantastic guests. To my left, Deputy Managing Editor at iMore, it's Lori Gill. Hi, Lori. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me back yet again. Uh, do I get some sort of special jacket after I've done this 20 times? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling special now. Yeah, we can't really, we can't really disclose it uh, until, until you get to that spot. Then you get, get a letter in the mail and it goes from there. Um, to my left is James Thompson. He's an indie iOS and Mac developer and maker of the famed PCALC About screen. How you doing, James? Hi, everyone. Um, well, you know, I'm always happy to get a last minute invitation to the clockwise prom. <laughs> Aren't you always sort of uh, there in, in the spreadsheet just waiting? Yeah, I think if you don't fill anything in, it just puts my name in. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back. All right. Well, I am today's designated co-host, so I'm going to go first. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about information collected by Facebook and Google. My question for you guys is, do you keep tabs on your Facebook and Google like history? Do you download your archive of all your information? Do you regularly purge stuff? How concerned are you about all the data that those companies are keeping on you? Lori? So... This this is a bad subject to talk about in such a short period of time because it could take hours to go through all all of the feelings that we have about this. But to to talk about it as fast as possible, no, I don't regularly check my Facebook and Google history, and it's it's because I already know I sold my soul to the devil. I I, I think that a lot of people maybe they they forgot or maybe they trust tech companies more than they should, but. You know, when I got into the industry of writing about technology, I made that decision that I'm, I don't own any of my digital life anymore. And I've just kind of come to terms with that. I did recently go through and start looking at some of my histories for Facebook and Google. And it did kind of shock me at how much is being stored. But I'm not... I'm not surprised in a way that that I'm offended. I'm just surprised in a way that I just didn't realize how how much of my digital life is being stored. I I mostly agree. I think um I think that the potential for a sort of group apathy across the entire vast you know, ecosystem of individuals who use the internet is a dangerous thing, and we should we should we should push for more privacy protection and push for more security. Uh, I don't think that should ever go away. But at the same time, I am with Lori when it comes to the fact that I kind of am, for the most part, just not surprised at what data is out there. And in some cases, because of my tech literacy, 
I have no reason to be surprised because I'm not ignorant to the sort of data collection processes. Like I know, uh, I, I do take the time, not the time to read terms and conditions and stuff, but at least the alerts that pop up. And so I'm aware of, of what type of data Google is tracking and what type of data Facebook is tracking, um, other than when bad things happen and they do things that are outside of the bounds of their terms and conditions and privacy policies, in which case that's really a time to get up in arms. But ultimately... I, you know, I saw something on Twitter the other day, and uh, someone had gone through sort of all of the different Google privacy pages where you can see what data is there. And people were advocating, like, go through and delete all of that, and then make sure it's all gone, and then do it again. And it's like, I don't think that that's a reasonable thing for anybody to be expected to do to go through and purge that data. And while some of that is being sold, and some of it is being used in advertising and things like that, a lot of it is being used to improve the services that we use. And so in some ways, you do yourself a bit of a disservice to completely wipe yourself from these servers. Uh, so it's certainly a balance. And I would never advocate that we should just be silent and let these companies take all of our data. But I think it's important important to sort of understand what we get in return when we give. Well, you know, look, I have history with these two, but I try not to have history. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have as much tracking turned off in all the options as I possibly can. Uh, I do have a Facebook account. It's mostly to keep in touch with friends and family, but I have the whole Facebook app platform options disabled. You know, I run an analytics blocker in Safari. I regularly go in and prune out the sort of completely random interests it thinks I have. Um, but even then, I was in there just a few days ago, and it was saying that I had an interest in BuzzFeed because I had installed the Buzz BuzzFeed news app. And there's no obvious link between me installing that app and Facebook knowing that I did install it. And it's stuff like that that just creeps me out. And I'm sure it's only the tip of the data iceberg that we're all heading towards. Um, I downloaded my complete Facebook data as well. You can't see the quotes I'm making around complete. But... Um, <laughs> Since it didn't have any of the advertising interests or things like that, I assume it is the complete archive of data I have given them, not the complete archive of data that they possess about me. And I think that's what I'd really like to see. You know, the stuff where they've paid for credit card uh, records and things like that to tie into your advertising profile. Um and there was a thing just there, there was an announcement that Facebook are going to make, be more open about privacy and things, but it just seemed like they were rejigging the user interface slightly differently again. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I'd like to see the, the, the hidden information that they have on me, or, you know, maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> Probably not. I, I both downloaded my Facebook archive and I'm not a big Facebook user, so there wasn't that much in there, but, you know... It was amazing to me the just the breadth of it in terms of like basically any Facebook message I'd sent in the last ten years, which was not a lot, but they were all in there. Um, the Google one to me was far more creepy, and I'm not somebody who usually worries too much about this. Like Micah said, you know, some of this data is is stuff that they're using to improve services, but Google has taken it a step further and is really like synthesizing all that to take almost kind of a snapshot. Like when I looked up and saw like there were a little you know by goes back by day, and there was. 
me looking up directions to go to a brunch place in DC when my girlfriend lived down there. And then right after that, there was a picture of the food I had taken at that brunch place. That was a little weird. It was a little weird. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think that there's a question of what they're doing with this data. You know, the idea, it seems less banal when they're actively assembling it into this kind of profile of you rather than just here's a list of all the things that you search for. Um, And that's what weirds me out a little bit. I agree with Micah that nobody should be expected to go in and have to purge these things manually. Uh, it would be nice if they offered delete my data 30 days afterwards, right? You know, stuff like that. So uh, it's it's informative. It's good. Everybody should at least look to know what data is being collected and then make their own decisions about what to do with it. But thanks for your thoughts on that. I realize it's a complex issue that we only addressed in like five minutes. Uh, but we will <laughs> move on to our next topic, which comes from Lori. So I spent the last week at the Games Developer Conference, and I was there with Russell Hawley, who is the managing editor of VR Heads. So he took me to every VR-related panel and all of the wonderful things that had to do with virtual reality. And what I discovered was that I am actually in love with virtual reality, and I'm very excited about the upcoming Oculus Go, which is going to be a very low-cost, consumer-friendly version of a virtual reality headset. And I'm wondering, what do you guys think? Are you interested in virtual reality? Do you think you'll get the Oculus Go? Because it's going to be consumer-friendly, less expensive. You don't need your phone. It doesn't have to plug into your computer. What do you think? So I think that virtual reality is incredible. Um, I have only gotten to try it a few times. Um, one of those times was at CES, and I had so much fun. I think it was a, not an Oculus, but uh, what's the other one? The Vive? Vive? Yeah, 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 the Vive. Thank you. Um, and it was again, it was so much fun. And here's the deal. I want my, like, eventual full step into VR to be a very positive experience. Um, My first real experience with VR was uh, I was doing a story on virtual reality back when I worked at Newsy, and we went to the architecture department, um, and they strapped an Oculus to my head. At the time, it was just like the developer version, and uh, were trying to show me they had made these dresses in virtual reality inside of this building. Well, to get me into the building, the guy just hit the forward key on the keyboard. And so my body like launched through the wall of the building. (laughs) And I kid you not, I almost vomited. I like Mm -hmm. it made me so sick because it was just this shocking. it It was awful. And, you know, it was a low resolution experience. And I played since then with different sort of silly cardboard things. And uh, I just want to make sure that when I do try VR on my own, like for the first time for real, that it's a good thing. And, you know, I don't want to sacrifice the best experience for a lower cost. And if it's like worth waiting to be able to afford something more expensive to get a better experience, then that may be what I would want to do so that I'm not vomiting as I'm catapulted through (laughs) a wall. Um, well, uh, Oculus Go, more like Oculus No. Um, See, he writes these in advance, though, which is cheating. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I keep having to remind myself that Oculus is really Facebook these days. And as we literally mm-hmm. just discussed, you mm-hmm. know, I'm trying not to submit to their social panopticon. Um Aside from that, you know, the founder of Palmer Lucky, he got milkshake ducked back in 2016. And it kind of 
put me off the whole Oculus brand even a bit more. Mm. Um, the Oculus Go does look quite nice, like a sort of standalone evolution of the Gear VR. And the price is certainly right. I'm skeptical, like Micah, that it's going to be powerful enough for sort of really meaningful VR experiences. And if it's going to get the kind of software support that I'm going to be interested in. There was also, there seemed to be a lot of discussion about more social aspects of it, which in uh, that sounded to my ears like more analytics and advertising tracking experiences of it. Um, I'd like to try one. I'd like to be proved wrong about the quality of it. Uh, I've got a PlayStation VR headset, which I definitely enjoy, despite the absolutely terrible tracking of the move controllers. Uh, but I think if I'm going to get anything else in this space, it's going to be the HTC Vive Pro, which is, I think, due out this summer. Uh the Vive has a lot better Mac support than the traditional Oculus headset. Uh, seems to be a bit more open, and there's a seems to be a bigger collection of Steam VR games and applications that I'd want to actually play on it. So I, I don't think I'm going to get one of these, but I'd like to play with one. <laughs> I have tried some VR headset stuff, mainly uh, at the office of a friend of mine who works at a VR startup, and I, I really I've been blown away with it. I expected much less from it going in and and thus it exceeded my expectations as for the oculus go in particular uh, like james i'm a little bit hesitant based on its associations with different companies but i i think the thing that excites me about it the most is the fact that it is pushing forward this whole standalone vr setup uh and that by competition uh we're gonna have to see similar offerings eventually from hdc uh and whoever else is still standing in the vr market at that point um, my main gaming console is an Xbox, and right now there isn't much happening with the Xbox and VR, so that's still sort of an open question for me because it's not something where I necessarily want to invest in a whole different gaming system just to play VR games, but if there's a way to supplement my current platform by doing that, then that's more interesting to me. So I, I don't think I'm in the market for the Oculus Go unless something, you know, sort of some killer app comes out that everybody is is talking about and playing. So I'll I'll hold off otherwise. So the one thing that I'm noticing everyone saying is you don't already own an, a um, VR headset. So you, you have not yet invested in the VR market. And here's my argument for Oculus Go. Well, first of all, like I said, I already sold my soul to the devil. So the company that owns <laughs> that owns the product is not as um, worrisome to me because it, I I will have to just erase myself from the internet if I want to get away from nefarious stuff. But um, the Oculus Go is a low cost entry level headset. So for the average person, people like all of us right now who do not already invest in VR. This is a great entry entry point for us. You don't have to have a special computer that will connect you to it. You don't have to use your phone and drain your battery for it. Um, it's a, it's going to be $200, so the investment is really low. It's a starting point to get you more involved in virtual reality, which then you can invest in the five or $600 headset and upgrade your computer or buy a brand new gaming computer that can compete with it. So... Um, the reason I'm excited about it is because I want to get into virtual reality, and this is something I can afford to do to get into it. I'm excited about Oculus Go, and specifically, it's because I know that once I get that headset and I get comfortable with the virtual reality experience and I get comfortable with gaming with a big, giant headset on my head, I'm going to want to invest in something stronger and more powerful, and I will you know, take some time to save up and then invest in something a lot bigger. But I think the 
Go is the perfect entry-level VR headset for people who are excited about the possibility but just can't afford to dig deep, or maybe they're just not willing to pay that price. Well, and you haven't lived till you've seen Clockwise in VR. It's all I'm saying. All right. <laughs> two topics down, two topics to go, which, of course, means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Linode. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, even chat over IRC in the Linode community. You could probably send them a raven. I don't know. Maybe that works. They know how important it is to help get the help that you want, and they also have a suite of amazing guides and support documentation to give you reference when you need it. Linode's intuitive control panel will allow you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in just a few clicks. And they feature two-factor authentication to keep you safe. And Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for only $5 a month, and they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. As a listener of this very show, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there is absolutely nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or use the promo code clockwise2018 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show. All right, halftime's over. Micah, what do you got for us? Well, the March event uh, from Apple was yesterday, and one of the things that they announced was this uh, device called the Logitech Crayon. It's basically an Apple Pencil, but it's made by Logitech. Uh, turns out it's only available through Apple's education channels, uh, specifically made for the new iPad they announced and for the education market. I'm curious if you think that it'll ever be available to consumers, and also if a more chunky but still equally sort of uh, functional stylus is of interest to you. Well, I mean, I don't see any reasons why it wouldn't be sold to consumers other than potentially causing some confusion in the marketplace or possibly undercutting Apple's own pencil product. I mean, I can't see that Logitech would want a product that they can only sell to a more limited market. So I have to assume that this is a limited exclusivity deal for education or that it was a condition of Apple sharing some of the pencil technology with them or something. But uh, I don't really understand why Apple isn't making this product themselves, you know, other than its chunky good looks not being on brand uh, for Apple. Um do I want one? Well, you know, it only works with a new sixth generation iPad, as far as I know, which I don't have. Um, it's not pressure sensitive and it's got a number of, uh, limitations to sort of bring the price down. Uh, it seems to be more of a budget device. And I have an Apple pencil already, which I think has been charged exactly once since I bought it. Uh, as it turns out, I have no artistic ability whatsoever. <laughs> Something that I could have discovered with a regular pencil that cost a thousandth of the price. 
Uh, I think James has hit the nail on the head basically on almost every point I was going to make. I imagine that Logitech and Apple were possibly, you know, uh, possibly working on essentially bundling these uh, for large scale volume sales to education. And maybe that's why it's not being aimed at consumers currently. Uh, But it does seem like a a device that was designed to simply just be a cheaper version of the pencil. And Apple didn't want to make it because Apple doesn't want to undercut people buying the pencil. And so they just basically said, sure, Logitech, go ahead and make this. We'll sell it to our education customers. Um, I, I don't have any desire for one. I have an Apple Pencil. Like James, I have no artistic talent, and my handwriting is terrible. So <laughs> Apple already got all the money it's likely to get out of me for one of those. I'm not following for that following for that trick again. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with both Dan and James on, on pretty much everything here, which is that it's it's probably, you know, Apple made a collaboration with Logitech to help boost Logitech while also protecting Apple from kind of undercutting its own um, Apple Pencil. Uh, I think it's really cute. I like it. I like the way it looks. I think it's a great idea. Um, I don't, I, I do think that at some point in the near future, Logitech will make this available to the public, but I think they'll raise the price of it. I think the $49 price point is for, um, uh, like large quantity because you can't even buy the crayon without buying it in, in units of 10. So they're, they're selling it at, you know, at a large stock price. So when it hits, if it does hit the, the retail market, I think it's going to be something closer to $69. Um, and again, because it only works with the new uh, 9.7 inch iPad Pro, um, it's pretty limited. Uh, let me just say that the the reason it's only compatible with that specific model is that it ha- the way it connects to the iPad is different than what what current um, iPad Pro models technology has with it. I actually am trying to get in touch with Logitech to find out exactly what that connection thing is, but it has nothing to do with the the quality of the the crayon or whether or not the screen of the iPad is compatible because it's it is compatible with Apple Pencil, but. Really Really, the crayon is almost exactly like pencil technology-wise all across the board, except for that it's not pressure sensitive. So it's a really great product at a at a reduced price, and I think it's a great uh, a great idea to bring something like that to market for the general public, so that they can have something that's not a hundred dollars that you know you don't hate yourself so much for buying when you realize that you have no artistic ability. Um, all good answers all around. I don't have much artistic ability either. I think my handwriting is pretty good, but um, I certainly did buy an Apple Pencil and occasionally use it for sketching and, in fact, like try to get better at sketching. Um, and one of the things that I've found with the Apple Pencil is that it is a little bit sort of thin and painful for my left-handed ways. Um, and so I kind of liked the idea of this thicker, chunkier deal. And there are ways, uh, before you start tweeting at me, I know there are ways to uh, add some chunk to your Apple Pencil um, and something that I've considered in the past. But I just was kind of excited that uh, that technology that seemed to sort of be this magical hand-wavy sort of deal was available um, to third parties. And hopefully we'll see more accessories come out that way. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our question from James. 
So it sounds like Apple's streaming TV plans are not going to appear until this time next year at the earliest, around about the same time as Disney's new streaming service. Is 2019 too late for Apple to get into this game? And how many streaming TV platforms will you be subscribed to by that point? Uh, all of them, probably, because I'm I'm a sucker. I I don't think late to the game matters as much here because we're talking about content. If Apple's content is good, people will pay for the service, and that's really the question here. Um, yes, there's a huge saturation of good television series right now. I think the number uh, I saw the other day was like there was almost 500 scripted series last year. Um, so it's it's obviously much higher than it used to be given all the alternative distribution channels. But with the kind of talent that Apple has been signing up, it doesn't, you know, wouldn't surprise me at all if they came out with some blockbuster hits. And if they do, people will people will pay for the service. It's as simple as that. Um, I do think there is bound to be fatigue at some point and people will have to sort of uh reconsider how many services they've subscribed to but it doesn't automatically mean that apple will uh, lose out on that and maybe other services can't hold up as well so i think that unlike a lot of like tech which tends to move fast and can often feel like late movers have a disadvantage in content i don't think it's as much of a problem you should also consider that apple is late to the game a lot of the time and they still end mm-hmm. up kind of overtaking overshadowing other tech companies it's a weird thing that happens in the in the in the tech world for some reason apple is well well covered and uh, get, they get a lot of people excited about their stuff so i agree i don't think being late to the game is going to matter for them and it is going to be about the content that they provide um it's one thing to have good original content, which is very important, but it's also going to be important to make sure that they in, they also include a broad variety of the general cable channels that most people are comfortable with. They, they Nobody's going to stop watching sports just because Apple has a streaming TV platform. So that stuff has to be included um, in the overall kind of uh, content that they provide. Um, they are signing up a lot of great talent and I do look forward to finding out what they're going to bring to the table. Um, uh, as for, uh, Disney, I mean, I'm just canceling everything and just Disney all in everybody else. I'm, <laughs> nope. Don't need anything else but the Disney. Uh, I'm, I'm with Dan and like, and, and Lori, frankly, that it doesn't really, I think, matter when you come into the game in this space, because as long as there are people, there will be people looking for things to distract them and to entertain them. And so if there's a new service out there that can do that, and it has uh, good content on it that people want to check out, then I think that they're, they're fine there. Um, and the fact that there are Apple devices and so many people's hands, and that gives Apple a direct way to sort of market this product. So uh, that I, I think that I think they'll be fine. Um, whether or not you know it's going to take off like Netflix or something like that, I don't know. Uh, it's not probably likely, but uh, they should be okay. And by that time, I will have subscribed to too many streaming TV <laughs> services, and I'll probably have to uh, cut one out if I find that Apple service is something worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to pay for Netflix because especially here in the UK, it seems to be a place that's collecting fairly decent TV series and movies. So, you know, aside from the original content, we got Star Trek Discovery and we get things like Good Place, iZombie, all week for week with the US. Um, Annihilation went straight to Netflix here as well. 
and I have Amazon Prime already for the shipping. So the Prime TV service picks up the sort of next tier of shows down. So we get things like, you know, Preacher and Lucifer, you know, all the great blasphemous shows. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I'm starting to burn out a bit on paying for more subscriptions. Especially for platforms with only like one or two shows that I might initially be interested in. You know, I think there's space in my life for maybe one more subscription, but no more than that. Uh, I subscribe to Apple Music and I'm happy with that, but I really doubt that they're going to turn Apple Music into a single service with the TV stuff bundled into it uh, as well for the same price. So if it comes down to a Disney streaming service with, say, a live action Star Wars TV show, versus the people who gave us carpool karaoke i kind of know where i'm going to be spending my money that's four topics down hopefully we have just enough time for a bonus topic today's bonus topic is brought to you by booze allen tell me if this sounds like you you're more than just interested in digital technology you're passionate about it and you want to use your talents for a challenge you believe in like moving business forward advancing healthcare, and protecting those most vulnerable you're all about solving problems. The more complex, the better. You think for yourself, but you know the best ideas happen when everyone has a seat at the table. Sound like you? Then you have a future at Booz Allen. Join a forward-looking team backed by a century of experience and fueled by collaboration. Booz Allen is looking for experts like digital technologists, cloud solution architects, digital solutions developers to help make the world more connected, agile, efficient, and safe. Discover why Booz Allen says empower change with us. Visit boozallen.com clockwise. We'd like to thank Booz Allen for their support of this show. And the bonus topic, really quick. What's your favorite soup, Lori? Um, I usually, actually, I love Tom Yum soup. It's a Thai soup mm. they have. Is this amazing, delicious, spicy soup, and it's wonderful. I hate to open up this uh, argument, but is chili soup? Okay, <laughs> turkey chili, if chili is soup. Uh, if not, then potato soup is, is mm. my favorite soup. Well, um, of course, I'm going to have to say friend of the show, Kathy Campbell, a.k.a. Mrs. Oh, Soup. that's pandering. Ah, shameless, shameless pandering. But, <laughs> you wrote that one, too. <laughs> I, I, I did. Um, but I'd probably go for a sort of thick German lentil soup that's about 50% sausage, which is a very hearty winter staple in this household. Uh, nice. I, as Passover is that's right good. around the corner, I'm going to go with matzo ball soup. It's my fave. Uh, thank thank you all for that. And we've reached the end of the show, so all that remains is to thank our fantastic guests. Lori Gill, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. James Thompson, thanks so much for joining us again. Finally, I have more appearances than Mike Curley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and, Micah, we've reached the end of the show, so it is time for us to bid our listeners adieu and remind them, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.